so I don't have a lot of experience. Welcome to House to Home Podcast. Still give you it's tons here of that we'll learn how to cultivate an eternal haven in our temporary world. I feel like maybe so grab a cup of coffee, run, do the dishes, give you a or even take a drive in your car. Whatever maybe it is you do while listening, I hope I you feel right at home. Interviews, but the ladies that I wanted to do interviews with were unavailable. Hopefully we can get some interviews to you and some homeschool podcasts out to you in the future. But for now, we're just going to talk about home-centered education. However, before the end of the month, I am going to share a little bit about what we do in our home for homeschool as far as organization goes and maybe just some tips here and there. So be on the lookout for that. If you follow us on Instagram, you can check our stories. And I try to save all of our house-to-home tips in our highlights. So you can check those there, and that'll be kind of like seeing a mini podcast. I'm thinking about focusing on kind of the organization of homeschool, kind of like a day in the Scroggins house, what our homeschool day would look like. And that's what it's going to look like for me, homeschooling a five-year-old who is in first grade, and then having an almost three-year-old who's doing some preschool And then also a one-year-old who is a master (laughs) distractor. So kudos to all of you families out there who homeschool. I'm getting into the thick of it now, and it can definitely be stressful at times. But um, stress isn't always a bad thing. That just means you're under pressure, and the benefits really outweigh any kind of stress or frustration that I've ever felt with it. So today we're talking about home-centered education. So whether you homeschool or whether you send your kids to school, this still applies to you because education starts in the home and it flows out from there. Even if your kids are eight hours in a school all day long, they're still living with you. They're still with their parents or their grandparents, whoever they're living with. Home is still a huge influence in their life. Home is still molding and shaping them primarily in their life, especially in those younger years. Whether you're a tradesman, um, whether you're in the medical field, whether you're more artistic, whether you're a homemaker, it doesn't matter. Each and every person is still learning. We're all learning. We're all growing. And you might be a poor learner or you might be a good learner, but either way, you're still in some way, shape, or form being educated. So I guess maybe we're all being affected by education. We are all learning each and every day. And it looks different for every person because not everyone is a head, not everyone is an arm or a foot, as the scriptures tell us. We all have different giftings. Which brings me to a quote in C.S. Lewis's essay, Learning in Wartime. In this essay, he says, The work of Beethoven... And the work of a charwoman becomes spiritual on precisely the same condition, that of being offered to God, of being done humbly as to the Lord. This does not, of course, mean that it is for anyone a mere toss-up whether he should sweep rooms or compose symphonies. A mole must dig to the glory of God and a cock must crow. We are members of one body, but different members, each with his own vocation. A man's upbringing, his talents, his circumstances are usually a tolerable index of his vocation. So as C.S. Lewis says here, we're not all going to be plumbers. We're not all going to be doctors or artists. We're going to have different roles. And a lot of times what points us to these different roles is our home life. I want our homes to be healthy homes that point our children into the best 
and the most right vocational calling for their life that will point a woman who needs to be a homemaker in that direction, that will point a man who needs to be a doctor in that direction. Parents have the capacity and the ability to see in their children their giftings, their callings, and to help shape, mold, form, and encourage and point them into those directions. And it's not only a parent's job to do this, but it's primarily the parent's job to take responsibility for the child's education, to take responsibility for the child in every aspect. And so that includes their education. So why is home-centered education important for the average person or family? Why don't we, you know, just let the the school do their work because that's what these teachers went to school to do anyway and not worry, you know, not worry about our child's education. Well, if you're a parent, you know that you can't really do that. Even if your kids do go to school, you're helping with homework. You're answering questions that the teachers can't can't get to because you first and foremost are your child's teacher. When you took on the role of parent, you took on the role of teacher. And whether you send your kid off to a great Christian or private school that gives them the best possible education, you still are primarily their teacher, and you still are responsible for what education they are getting. You're putting them in the hands of a teacher, or you're putting them in the hands of yourself. You're responsible for that. You're making the decision for these children who can't make these wise and best decisions for themselves. C.S. Lewis also has a quote in the same essay on learning in wartime. We ask, you know, why is education important for a family? Why do we need to be teaching our kids in the home? Why should we care about what they're learning? It says to be ignorant and simple now, not to be able to meet the enemies on their own ground, would be to throw down our weapons. Good philosophy must exist, if for no other reason, because bad philosophy needs to be answered. And yes, your teachers can give this to your children. They can give them the good philosophy. But when your children are at home, are you able to give them that good philosophy as well? Do you know what they're learning when they're gone? Are you taking charge of that? So again, whether you're homeschooling or you're sending them away, you still need to be knowing what your children are being educated in. Is it true? Is it good? Is it beautiful? And um, are you responsible for that? Or are you kind of lagging in that responsibility? Other than that, we live in an age in which children need answers. We need to be prepared to give them those answers. So they're not always just going to go to a teacher. Hopefully, we would want our kids to come to us first anyway. So we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us, right? We need to be able to give a defense for um, the gospel. But not only that, just education in general. We need to be able to be ready to answer our kids' questions. That doesn't mean we need to know everything about everything, but we need to show them that we are willing to learn, that we are interested in the questions that they're interested in, and that we're willing to seek out these answers together. And by doing that, we're not only showing them that we are remaining teachable and humble ourselves, but we're also showing them how to get answers when we don't know. Another reason would be we want to give them a broad education because we don't know our child's future. So in the home, you have a lot of different areas that you can teach your children. 
we don't know exactly where the Lord is going to plant them in the future and what sort of career or what sort of vocational calling. We do know that we can give them a broad education because we want to give the best for them. We want them to live full, healthy lives. And by giving them a good education, we're able to do that by equipping them and, you know, kind of what we talked about in the classical education podcast, by giving them that good education, we're teaching them how to learn, not just what to learn. Deuteronomy 11:19, you know, tells us to teach our kids to put the commands on our hearts. And there's so many scriptures, other ones that talk about us being responsible for teaching and disciplining our children. Ephesians 6:4 tells us to raise them up in the admonition of the Lord. Proverbs 22:6, very popular one, tells us to train up a child in the way they should go so that they will not depart from it. Matthew 18:5 through 6 tells us not to cause a little one to stumble or to sin for it would be better for us to be cast into the sea so we don't want to be leading our children astray we don't want to be giving them bad philosophy we want to be giving them the good philosophy psalm 78 2 through 4 talks about not hiding the truths from our children but passing them down to the next generation and if we are familiar with our bible at all we know the sins that we constantly have fallen into as christians Um, generation after generation, the Israelites falling into the sin of not remembering and not passing these things down to their generation. And then generation after generation would go on and then someone would find the law, right? They'd find, they'd find it, they'd read it and they'd say, okay, now we're going to obey. And it's this cycle where they would obey for a little while and then they would slowly stop being obedient and start to forget. And it was because they weren't passing these truths down. They weren't educating their children in these future generations. They were getting lazy. They were following after other gods. The world was enticing them. And we fall into that same pattern today. So we're the teachers. We're the number one examples to our children. We are who they're going to look up to and they're going to imitate us even in the areas that we may not want them to they're still going to imitate us we all know that as we age we probably become a lot more like our mother or our father and um, hopefully we take a lot of the good strong areas but sometimes we take those faults as well right and so I think that's why it's crucial to give them a good discipline and a good instruction to be a humble teacher um, as a parent, you know, it, it takes a lot of humility to teach our children and to realize that as we're teaching them, we are also learning. I think that's the beautiful thing about a home-centered education. We realize by valuing education in the home, we are all learning that even though I am teacher and I am mom and I am the one in, in charge, I'm the one in charge at home, I tell my children often and they know, they see that mom is learning right alongside them. I love the quote by Corey Ten Boom that says, the best learning I had came from teaching. It is so true ever since I've had children and especially homeschooling, but literally just the moment my daughter came home with me from the hospital, I have been learning. And it's because from that moment I was teaching. I was teaching her how to eat. I was teaching her how to sleep. I was teaching her how um, to listen to mommy and to not run into the road. You know, I've been teaching my children from the time they've been earthbound. And by doing that, I have been learning leaps and bounds. And I think our children are the best teachers if we can humble ourselves to learn from them. I think a beautiful example of this is in Luke 1, 
26 through 56, it's talking about Mary. And Mary humbled herself. We know Mother Mary, and we know that she was a virgin, and she was told that she was going to carry the Christ, that she was with child. So here we have an ordinary woman who is very young, a young woman who is not married yet, but engaged, and she was told that she was going to carry the Christ. And when you think about this, just think about if that were to be you and and how much awe you would be if an angel came to you and told you this. But she humbled herself because she realized that she was not only going to carry the Christ and birth the Christ, but she was going to raise the Christ. She was going to be the one to discipline Jesus. She was going to be the one to teach Jesus, the Son of God, So she took on the humble task of teaching him and raising him. And she was just an ordinary human woman who mothered the Son of God. And it's amazing. In Luke 1, 26 through 56, it talks about it's her prayer and how she acknowledged her weakness. It just is a reminder to me that no task is too great if God goes before us and that we can humble ourselves as parents to teach these children who hopefully one day will surpass us in knowledge. And so the beautiful thing about a home-centered education is it's not just the parents teaching the children, but it's also the children teaching us. It's sanctification. (laughs) I think that's beautiful too because we're not always going to get it right. We're going to make lots of mistakes. We're going to lose our patience. We're going to mess up. We're going to sin. And it's true sanctification being able to humble ourselves in this learning process. And I think it's also really neat too talking about, you know, how we are, who our children are going to be looking up to. You know, boys want to grow up to be men. Girls want to grow up to be women. They are shadowing their parents and the home is the center of this. The school isn't the center of this. The workforce isn't the center of this. But the home is. The home is showing the value of family life. It, it's showing the mom and the dad and the children. If we are valuing good teaching in the home, then we're going to be giving that to our children. So this is the training grant. We're preparing them for the real world, for everyday life, not just where they're going to be working at, but how they're going to interact with people because that's majority of their life. Majority of their life is going to be interacting with other people. Yes, maybe in the workforce, but also in their homes, with their husband, with their wife, with their children. We're teaching our kids each and every day how to be disciplined, how to be self-controlled, how to be patient, how to forgive and seek forgiveness. We're giving our kids common sense. You know, too many families are falling apart because they were never taught how to communicate rightly. We talked about this in some of our very first episodes, how people have been pushed to go outside of the home. And in doing that, we have really seen a broken culture We don't have people who are looking at the home as an economy, a small little business working together and pulling together as a team. It's everybody's an individual and they're all just going their separate ways. You know, home is just a place to sleep. That shouldn't be how it is. That's not what home is. Home is a haven that people come to rest in. It's where they share their joys. It's where they share their pain. It's where they share their hearts, whether those hearts are full whether those hearts are broken. And so in the home, we're able to teach our children how to communicate rightly, how to grow. And um, this is going to, of course, help their future family lives and their future home lives, but it's also going to flow out 
into their jobs or their ministries or their hobbies, whatever they do, if it starts healthy there in the heart and in the home, then it will be healthy going out and flowing out. And so we work as a team. We learn. We grow together. Education isn't just simply for the purpose of finding a career or the purpose of getting a trade. Ultimately, it's to live a better and more full life inside and outside the home. So what are some practical ways to do this? One of the practical ways to do this would be to cease everyday moments. So whether you homeschool or not, take time to answer questions. These are the most important times because they're not staged. It's really organic. It's real. So if you're living a fun, adventurous life together and you're letting the moments do what they do best, they're going to capture our hearts and kids are going to be full of questions. So answer these questions. When a butterfly goes by and a child asks you why it flies, answer them. Um, Look it up if you don't know. If you're too busy to stop or you're too consumed with the workbook and you're not teaching in the everyday moments, then you're really going to miss out on a lot. That's one of my top number one pieces of advice is live in the moment and seize that opportunity. So when they answer questions, take time to teach them then. Also, evaluate your domestic liturgy would be another practical step. Are you making time for learning? Is your day full of reading or adventures or cooking, you know, things that you guys enjoy, music, art, or are you living kind of a um, boring life, just watching shows or not engaging with the children or frustrated with your current domestic liturgy, frustrated with the cleaning and the to-do lists and that sort of thing. I don't know what your your life looks like. You can go back and listen to our domestic liturgy podcast. That was one of the very first ones that we released. But I think that we all need to take a step back sometimes and evaluate and make some domestic changes if we need to. Maybe you need to make a schedule. Maybe you need to loosen yours up. I'm not sure. But evaluate that. Evaluate your domestic liturgy and see if you are prioritizing time for learning. Again, let the organic moments happen. But sometimes you might have to schedule things in depending on the season of life you're in. And that leads me into the next practical point, which would be to follow the natural learning cycles. We talked about um, the learning cycles in the classical education episode, grammar, logic, rhetoric. But even aside from that, following the natural cycles of the seasons of life. So did you just have a baby? Well, guess what? Your workbooks, maybe those have to be set aside for a season while you're tending to a new baby. And instead, use this time to teach your children practical things about life. Things that we take for granted, but so many people do not know. There's so many moms now that are having newborns that don't know what to do. And we all feel like that because so much of our learning is going through experience. But take the time to teach your little girls, your little boys, how to tend to a baby, how to use a bottle, how to swaddle a baby, how to be gentle around a baby, how to talk to a baby. Use these moments and enjoy the moments. Um, Is it winter? Is it summer? You know, different activities are going to be held in the winter than they are in the summer. Seize those moments. The season that you're in, use what you can. If it's summer, then get outside, do summery things. If it's winter, utilize the snow, utilize the cold weather, be creative. Do you have girls or do you have boys? Um, Do your girls desire to cook? Do your boys have a passion for carpentry? Use these types of things. Use the passions 
or the interest that your kids are currently into, the age, um, the season that they're in in life, use those as education outlets. Um, it doesn't always have to be, you know, sitting down with a math book, 2 plus 2 is 4, or sitting down tracing your ABCs or whatever it may be. Teach your kids practically how to live. We're really missing a lot of this to where we have so many people getting out, getting married, and they don't even know how to cook a meal. You know, it's really sad how we can be sending our kids off to school eight hours a day and then they can't cook a box of macaroni, let alone, you know, a homemade batch of macaroni. So obviously we're going to have strengths and weaknesses and we can't know everything about everything, but there's also a huge hole right now in our education and a lot of it is because we're not at home as much as we used to be. Um, Another practical tip would be use catechisms. Kathleen Norris says children are budding theologians and this is true. Realize also that catechizing isn't just used for memorizing like your Westminster Shorter Catechism or whatever you would be going through but it's just simply an echo back training with pre-constructed answers and questions and then use these for everyday life. So with my kids, we do go through the Westminster Shorter Catechism for kids. It's funny because Anora did 20 of those last year for kindergarten, and just within those 20 that she's memorized, we can use these for everyday life. So when she has a question about God, um, she was talking, I think, the other day about God having hands or something like that, and or his body, what his what his body looked like. And I said, remember, Honora, or what is God? And she said, God is spirit. He has no body like a man. That's the answer. God is spirit. He has no body like a man. And so I was able to say, Honora, what is God? And then she gave me that answer back. And then as she answered it, she realized, oh, God doesn't have a body. So then we, we were able to talk about that. We were able to discuss how God is a spirit. And we don't really completely understand that, but we know he doesn't physically have hands and feet and knees and a nose and eyes, but that the Bible uses those terms to describe God, the anthropomorphic. It uses those terms to describe God. And so that, you know, raised a very, and she raised a very important question, but she was also able to answer her own question. And then that led to a very neat discussion and conversation with my five-year-old. Another thing is don't give them steak dinners. They're going to choke. So don't overdo it. Ease into it. I don't know what you're trying to teach your kids or what kind of culture you're trying to cultivate in your family, but no one wants to be fed a beautiful, wonderful meal that they can't eat. There's nothing more frustrating with seeing and smelling a wonderful steak that's all buttered up, but not having the capability to chew it and actually digest it. So give them beautiful small amounts of food and meat one time and then another time and know what they can take in one day they're going to be able to take the full buttery steak and chew it up and digest it and love every minute of it but for now remember where they're at and they're going to be at different places in different subjects and in different areas of life and so be patient with that be aware of that try to notice that and evaluate your children 
and just create a culture that loves learning. Make it exciting, read together, explore together. A good teacher is going to know their students and a good teacher is going to get his students excited too. So stuffy parents are gonna turn children away from the things that they should love. And we've seen that happen so many times where children grow up hating a certain something just because of the way their parents engaged with that in their life. So let the home show the beauty of learning. And then last is let it be messy Um, physically and emotionally. This is life. Don't leave it there. Don't wallow in the filth. But when learning is hard, be real. Seek forgiveness. Say sorry. Show your kids what true perseverance looks like. Let them know when you don't know. Um, You don't know everything. Let them know who we go to when we are weak or or when we don't understand. More than any of this, remember that we are reflecting Christ, even in our education, especially in our education. I said earlier that kids want to grow up to be men and women and to be like those who they look up to, which a lot of times is their parents, at least for a season, and hopefully they always want to be a little bit like their parents. But more than that, we want them to be image bearers of God, and the home is where this identity is formed. And so we're either going to push our kids towards him or away from him in the way that we teach. And teaching, remember, is more than just words. It's also action. So it's every day, how we live, how we react, what we watch, what we read, who we're engaging with, our conversations, even our body language. I mean, all of it. Um, We're teaching whether we want to or not. The question is, are we good teachers or are we poor teachers? But we must remember that we have the most holy teacher who is gifted to us and who gives grace upon grace to his children. So we're not going to get it perfect. Maybe you haven't valued education in the home thus far, but take steps to do that now and look to the best teacher. Look to God, look to Christ, and let him help you. We, of course, want to be teaching our children about math and about science and all of these things. But the beautiful thing about a true education is that we don't see science separate from math and we don't see math separate from art. We see all of these things working together, uniting together and pointing us to Christ. We see that God made all of it, that he made this beautiful wonderful world that we're living in and we get to explore it we get to learn about it and we will never ever have arrived here this side of heaven we're not going to know everything there is to know but um, we can keep learning and that's the wonderful thing about education is it's broad there's so many avenues there's so much creativity to be had and I would love to see more homes valuing this type of education more homes excited about learning excited about the world around us and more homes pointing their children to god through education this month's giveaway is brought to you by billy buttons billy buttons is a small dried and preserved flower business based out of southern illinois Abby Fenton is its founder, and she was inspired by all the beautiful dried flower trends that were popping up during her time in Australia. This month, she's giving away a small bundle 
full of bright pinks, yellows, and neutrals, which is perfect for midsummer decorations. I personally am a huge fan of dried florals because you can't kill them, they last forever, and you can rearrange them and put them in different spots in your house. So if you'd like to enter this month's giveaway, please go to our Instagram, House to Home, follow the prompts on our giveaway post. Be sure that you're following us and Billy Buttons, and happy winning!